Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. You can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. So we've got some stuff to discuss. We're going to talk about the AHL today. We're going to talk about the Calder Cup and what does it mean for Predators fans and what does it mean for Carl Taylor. We're also going to talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs because that's been going on, uh, Michael. And I don't know about you. Um, we're going to debate broadcast teams. We're going to talk about some of the championship final matchups we'd like to see in the cup final. Uh, I've got some some historical data we can get into. I've got some home and road splits we can get into. Um, but really, I don't know about you. I am finding myself even more exhausted than usual because I'm just not going to miss Connor McDavid at like 12 o'clock at night. I'm, I'm still going to stay up and watch some of these games. And I just don't I don't know how much how much sleep are you getting these days? Are you are you late night watching these West Coast games? I stay up as late as I can. Eventually gets to a point where I have to tap out and go to bed and I'll just catch up <laughs> on the scores and watch the the final half of the third period in in the morning and stuff. But I'm I'm getting older, man. I, I can't sit up as, as late as I used to. So we're recording this Wednesday um morning, I think. <laughs> we're recording this Wednesday. And uh, the right now, and we'll get again, we're gonna get into a lot of stuff. Home and road splits. I even have a debate for you guys out there. Biz nasty or PK Subban? Uh, who who's the better analyst? I just I want to know what you think. Uh, and again, we'll get to a lot of fun stuff today. Sort of a loose show, a light show. There's a lot of heavy stuff going on in in the world in Tennessee sports, and so we're going to keep it loose today. But I I know you're a big Calder Cup guy. You've mentioned it on the show before that you think Carl Taylor has an opportunity to prove himself to some degree in these playoffs. They're of course the two seed in the Calder Cup, which is the AHL championship format, uh, Stanley Cup version of of the AHL. Uh, so I want to get your thoughts on what is important, what Predators fans need to know, what matters about the job that he is doing both through the season without lots of the players that call, got called up and now into the playoffs with a lot of those players back onto his roster. How do we evaluate him? Before we do that, the gold standard, Michael Gallagher, man of many words, writer extraordinaire, the gold standard is brought to you by the wonderful and amazing people at Jaspers. <laughs> I added a few more adjectives there. <laughs> I uh, listen. Jaspers is great. Jaspers uh, should be. Jasper, yeah, Jaspers is great. They have. Uh, they are. By the way, shout out to Jaspers for uh, catering our NFL draft party on Thursday evening. Um, all the money is going to go to proceeds to help our kids. Our kids center uh, is the website. Uh, they are. I've been working with that charity for a long time here in Nashville. They take care of kids. Uh, and Jasper stepped up to the plate and said, you know what? We're going to make sure you guys have a great time. And we got we got all kinds of fun stuff. By the way, tickets are available at 440 Sports on the Twitter account if you want to go come hang out with us on the, on uh, if you're a Titans fan and a Preds fan. But just wanted to make sure you Predators fans out there knew how much Jasper's does. Not just great food, free parking, free game room, all the great stuff we tell you all the time. Uh, but they're also stepping up to the plate when it comes to uh, supporting the community and uh, taking care of kids in Middle Tennessee. So catering, uh, all donations, of course, uh, there, and uh, all the proceeds will go to our kids. So if you want to buy some tickets and come hang out, very limited supply. We're not going to have a big party at all on Thursday. Uh, it's just for some Titans fans, but I uh, want to give a shout-out there to Jasper. So not only making great burgers and fries, Michael, but also helping the children of Middle Tennessee. Jasper's. There you go. And... I say, am I supposed to add something? <laughs> you said I, it all. I suppose. I suppose you could. Um, all right. So this is where I want lots of words from you. Okay. This okay. Is you, this is where you have to do lots of talking on on a podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I, before we get to the implications for Carl Taylor, I just want you to tell tell the folks out there, tell Predators fans what what matters with Milwaukee, the Calder Cup, and the AHL playoffs. What is it that people should be paying attention to? Well, if you're a Predators fan, it's the only postseason hockey you will be have a rooting interest in uh, this year. So that's wow. step one. Um, yeah, I think it's Milwaukee has a really exciting team this year, and, and they have a whole team now, a complete team. And part we'll get into this when we talk about what it could possibly mean for Carl Taylor and, and the job he's done this year. Um, but they, for the last twenty or so games, most of his best players were on the Predators roster, and they really had to to plug and play some some guys. Um, I know Penalty Box Radio had a story about how uh, some of the, the the Isaac Ratcliffe and um, Anthony Angelo and some of the 
the guys they they acquired for future considerations um, when they were trading Mikhail Granlund and Matthias Ekholm, they acquired some of those guys, and they're like, oh, some of the fans were like, what are these guys going to do? They were role players in Milwaukee, and they served a purpose, and they did their job well. Um, but yeah, the, the first round matchup, Milwaukee against the Manitoba Moose, which is the Jets AHL affiliate. It's going to be a really exciting series. Uh, they they opened the the playoffs against each other last year as well. Manitoba was the higher seed. Milwaukee was the lower seed. Milwaukee ended up winning in five games. Um, this year, rolls reverse. Milwaukee finished second in the Central. Manitoba, I believe, was third in the Central. It's, it's going to be really exciting. The way the, the they match up really well stylistically. Manitoba likes to drive the net. They shoot a lot from any angle, all over the ice. Skilled forward, savvy defensemen that like to play on the rush. Mirroring a little bit of, of how the Predators play a little bit. Um, the Admirals, they have you know two twenty goal scores, three forty point players. Doesn't look that impressive, but on paper. They're getting so much talent back. Igor Afanasiev, Luke Evangelista, Jankowski, McCarron, Sherwood, Tomasino, Stastny, Sanford, Gross, Gravel, all those guys. That's a 200, combined 254 games of NHL experience this year that's going onto an AHL roster for a postseason run. Carl Taylor couldn't ask for much more right now. The Moose, they, they are a really good team as well. Uh, 420 goal scorers, five players with 40 or more points. But I just feel like Milwaukee should be heavily favored in this one, and rightfully so. I mean, you just you can't really compete with 254 games of NHL experience. And it's not like it was like peppered out through the last couple of years. That was all this year. So you have guys like Tomasino and Sherwood and Evangelista that pr- produced in the NHL and were high caliber players in the NHL coming down and playing it's a lower competition in a playoff run. Like it's going to be really exciting to watch. And then you look at Milwaukee also has a couple guys that didn't get into the NHL this year. Cole Schneider, 25 goals, 51 points, John Leonard, 17 goals, 44 points. You throw in Anthony Angela, who I added or who I mentioned earlier, uh, seven goals and 12 points in 17 games. Like he, he's been a pleasant surprise. And he was one of the players that when, the, the Predators sent all their players back to Milwaukee that were eligible. They they kept him around. Uh, the other guys got released from their, their PTOs or they were sent back to the ECHL. So, yeah, this is going to be an exciting uh, series to watch. And, and if you have AHL TV or if you can stream the game somewhere online, I highly recommend you do it. Milwaukee is they play, they play a system just like the Predators. It's going to be fun to watch. You get to watch all of the good young players that are going to be hopefully on the Predators roster over the next couple of years. And you get to watch them in the middle of a, of a cup run. It's going to be really exciting. And where else are you going to get Manitoba Moose breakdown like Michael Gallagher just offered you folks on the gold standard? You're breaking down the style of play by the Manitoba Moose. By the way, here's another. Here's some more for you. The other side of the bracket, Texas versus the five-seed Rockford. Watch out for Rockford, okay? I'm just saying. Uh, watch out for Rockford. No, I agree. If you can watch it, I mean, if you want some postseason hockey that's, you know, I assume not taking place at 1130 at night. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can probably watch some good AHL stuff. And again, I think the prospects are totally worth watching. There's other names in there you haven't even mentioned that are worth watching. And I do find it interesting, Carl Taylor's job. Your job as an AHL coach is fascinating to me because your your priority as a coach is inherently to be a competitor. And I've talked to him about this on a number of different interviews I've done with him. And that that they are competitors. They want to win. They want to succeed. He wants to prove himself. He wants to get to the NHL. That that is his goal as a person, individually. But like what his charge is as an AHL coach for a Predators roster that, in particular, has one of its best farm systems in recent memory, is also to develop talent. We talked about this with John Hines at the at the pro level once they were kind of in sell mode. Like, is your priority to win games and collect two points, or is your priority to develop a young player to make him ready for next year? And at the AHL level, it's even it's even a greater contrast. And so for him to lose a bunch of players that he did develop and sort of go into like win mode to try to stay relevant in the AHL standings, then to get all these guys back who he's developed, he doesn't have to develop them now anymore because he's in the postseason. His job now is to win, but he's got better players. Here's another here's here's the question for for not for Carl Taylor, but maybe the players. I am cur- I'd be fascinated to see which players go down and lose some of the steam. Because you played in the NHL for 15, 20 games, whatever the number is. You got a taste of the big life. You got a taste of the show. And now you're back down at the AHL. Are you, st- are you going to be busting your ass on every shift to try to win a Calder Cup after just being in an NHL playoff race? I am... I- I- that's got to be one of Carl Taylor's most difficult jobs in the next 
you know, in this series against the Moose of Manitoba. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. And I don't worry about that so much with players like Mark Jankowski, Michael McCarron, Kiefer Sherwood, uh, Zach Sanford, even. These guys have been around the block. They, they're they're not young rookies trying to earn a roster spot. They are who they are at this point. Um, so you're looking at someone like Zach Sanford, who might not be with this team next year. Like, this might be as good as it gets for him. Like, he could go out and, and sign, a, you know, an AHL deal with another team next year, or he could have the same deal with Nashville and be in the AHL. Like, going for a Calder Cup is pretty exciting, whether you want to be in the NHL or not. Um, so I don't think you have to worry about that with some of the, the veteran players. Like this is postseason hockey when it comes down to it, whether it's NHL, AHL, it's postseason hockey. You have a cup on the line. I don't think you have to worry about that with those guys. Some players like Igor Afanasiev, maybe Philip Tomasino Evangelista, some of those guys. I think I don't think you have to worry about the effort being there. I do think you have to worry about the confidence level being there because we we just saw for 20 to 30 games, those guys produced and produced at a high level in the NHL. If they come down to the AHL and they're playing against other other prospect level players and they and say Luke Evangelista goes five games without scoring, th- does that start to affect him a little bit, given that he saw he could be productive in the NHL? That's what I kind of worry about a little with some of these younger players is handling the transition from an AHL season to an NHL playoff race back to an AHL cup race. It's it's right. kind of especially when you're 19, 20, 21. You're, you are a professional athlete at that point, but you still have some growing growing up to do developmentally, cognitively, stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see how the younger players kind of transition, switching from the AHL to the NHL back to the AHL again. I think Carl Taylor is the right guy for the job. I think if there's anyone in this organization outside of maybe Barry Trotz that, that can motivate these guys and get the most out of them, I think Carl Taylor is the guy for the job. Well, and I think that that's the area of concern for me. I think it's a human element. Like I, if you're Luke Evangelista, you're you're a top flight prospect. You're drafted highly. You've you've done everything you're supposed to do. You get called up. You find success. It is natural. It is human. It is a natural human element to go back down and to exhale, and to take your foot off the gas. Same thing with Tomasino. Same thing with Afanasiev. And so I think with those three guys in particular, and maybe a few others, but you're right. I think the veterans kind of it's a different situation mentally. But for those three in particular to go back down. If they are still busting their ass on every shift, it is a credit to them and their level of commitment and trying to get better every day. And it's a credit to the coaching staff for keeping them motivated. Because I think it would be super normal and super natural for every one of us to to work your entire life, even if you're just 19 or 20 or 21 years old, to work your entire life to achieve a goal, to get to that goal, and then to try to come back and be like, hey, yeah, you got to, you got to do this thing and for this other company now, like, you know what I mean? Like it would, I think it is natural for there to be an exhale moment of, I just got to where I was supposed to get my entire life. Everything I've done has been focused on this. And now I'm going to go back and play for the Calder cup. Again, I'm not trying to disparage the Calder cup here, but like, I just think once you get a taste of the show, you know, you, you want to go back down and play with crash Davis. Like, I don't know. Like, I got just, it's not, it, it I, oh. I, I would understand somebody letting off the pedal a little bit, I guess. Well, I also think, too, in particular for Evangelista and Tomasino, they could also approach this as this is my chance to prove I deserve to be on the on the NHL, excuse me, NHL roster next year. Barry Trotz even mentioned um, at the end of season press conference, he said, Luke Evangelista opened his eyes and maybe that's someone he keeps a roster spot open for next year. I think Philip Tomasino definitely deserves to be on this roster next year. If he's not, John Hunt should be fired again. So (laughs) I, I think with those two in particular, you're looking at, and look, I would love to see Igor off. Yeah, I'm pulling a David Poyle. All right, David Poyle, come on. <laughs> yeah, Igor Afanasiev. I'd love to see him on the roster next year in a bottom six role because I think that would suit him, especially being as young as he is. But he he realistically is probably going to be in Milwaukee again next year. Evangelista and Tomasino in particular, they probably have a good case right now to be on the NHL roster. If they go out and they carry this team to a Calder Cup, and I'm not saying winning a Calder Cup assures all of the stuff, but if they go out there and they have a, a great postseason run, lead the Admirals to a Calder Cup, that that to me, that strengthens their case of, of why they should be on this roster next year. So I don't worry about that a little too much. I just worry about whether they can handle that being as young as they are. And something about Evangelista, too, you got to think, he played 14 games in the AHL as a junior league player back when COVID started and they had that weird rule where junior league players can play and stuff. So he had a full season in the OHL, played 14 games in the AHL, went back to the OHL and then had his breakout 55 goal, hundred point season. And then he, then he got um, 
sent to Milwaukee and then he played in the NHL this year. So he he's been all over, all over the place. And I think that kind of just, if, if anything, that, that helps him because he's kind of like we talked about Ellie Tolvin a couple years ago when he was playing in the, the KHL, the Olympics coming into the NHL, then he was in Milwaukee and all this stuff. And he was all over the place. And we were wondering, is he going to be able to, to continue to produce given yeah. that he he's all over the map? And I think Luke Evangelista has done that already. So I don't worry about him too much, but I do think, I do think you're right. The young players are going to be players to watch because how how do you how do you go from chasing you know an NHL a Stanley Cup playoff run and then you you don't make it and then you go back and it's like okay well this is kind of fun but it's not it's not the Stanley Cup it's the Calder Cup like okay like yeah. I, I think it's something to, to to watch out for. I I don't think they have to win a cup or win the playoff tournament or the bracket, uh, you know, if they lose in the first round, that would be disappointing. And that would maybe speak to Carl and the players, but I, I don't think they need to win the championship to sort of win Barry trots over. If that makes yeah. sense. Like, I, I think you just, as long as you see the effort, the care, the want to, and frankly, what it, what it amounts to is you have another opportunity to continue to prove yourself. And if you have opportunity to prove yourself as a 19 or 20 or 21 year old, and you take that opportunity, to continue grinding every single shift to get better every single shift. And, and uh, again, I don't think you need to win the championship to prove that to Barry Trotz, to, to whoever is going to be the coach, John Hines for now to Carl Taylor. I think that's all that matters. And if you do that, then I think you actually have a better chance to make the roster next year because people are going to be watching that stuff. Like people see that stuff. So let's get, yeah, to I don't, I don't think you have to, to win the cup, but for someone like Luke Evangelista, who is, I guess on the bubble of being in the, on this roster next year, I think Barry Trotz has made up his mind about roughly about who he wants on this roster next year. I think he knows how he feels about Evangelista, Tomasino, all those guys. But if, if Evangelista goes out and scores twelve goals and eighteen points in in, in, in eleven <laughs> games, I think that that makes up Barry Mines Trotz. If he's on the fence about Luke Evangelista, I think that makes up his mind whether he's bringing him up next year or not. Uh, well, or, or certainly, I mean, it's it's got to help. Like it may not decide make the decision, but I agree with you. He probably knows. And I also agree, Philip Tomasino should be on the roster next season. Um, now, Carl Taylor's different. If Carl Barry Taylor should be on the roster, too. <laughs> Listen, I'm with you, dude. I agree. Even if it's like assistant head coach in waiting, I, I think Carl Taylor should be there. Now, <laughs> I think I think what's interesting is trying to use the, the, uh, an AHL tournament to evaluate his NHL ability. Because, again, the job is not... During the regular season, the job is about cultivating talent, not just winning games. Now it's sort of about just winning games and sort of maximizing the talent you have. And frankly, to your point, this is where I think is interesting. Is there any AHL team? And I don't, we probably don't have this answer. I, I frankly, I hope you don't have this answer. <laughs> is there any other AHL team in the Western Conference, let's say, or even in the entire league that has as much NHL real time experience this year playing on its roster right now going into this tournament? I cannot imagine there's a team with with like 10 skaters <laughs> or 12 skaters that are that were just recently full-time NHL players. I do not have that answer and I don't Thank have those you. numbers, but I would venture to say probably not. So in theory, his team should be among the most experienced and most talented and best in the in the in the tournament. So are we going to put too much in, in theory? Yes. But you look at Calgary's, you look at some of the teams in the, in the Calder Cup playoffs, Calgary, 106 points, the Coachella Valley Firebirds, 103 points, Boston's affiliate, 98 points. There are some loaded teams in this tournament as well. No, no, there's no question. And I'm not, I'm just saying from an NHL recent NHL playing time experience standpoint, first of all, the Coachella, what <laughs> the Coachella Valley flames <laughs> the coachella valley firebirds firebirds that is a fantastic freaking name um i hear you said this i think you said this last week with 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 uh, me and adam you said if they go on to win a calder cup i think it should change the way they view carl taylor and i want to explore that a little bit more because i don't know if yeah, i want to explain i want to explain on that yeah i don't think winning a cup decides whether or not he should be the coach or not. I think you have to decide on John Hines separately. Like Barry Trotz's job is to decide on John Hines separately. But if Barry Trotz has gone out and publicly said everything is sort of under evaluation currently, then absolutely the AHL playoffs in the Calder Cup trophy and Carl Taylor's currently being evaluated. So everything he does should be a factor. Even if it's a small one, should be a factor in his evaluation process. Yeah, and what I meant by that, I didn't mean... 
if Carl Taylor wins the Calder Cup, he should automatically be the Predators head coach next year. What I meant by that was just like the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy in all professional sports, in my opinion, to win. The Calder Cup is equally equally the same across in the AHL because you the, the tournament itself, you have to go through a bunch of teams. You have to win five, seven game series. Um, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into it. And you look at just going through and looking at the AHL standings, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. There's six, seven teams that have more points than the Admiral. So as loaded as they are and as much a NHL sp- experience as they have, which I, I don't, I would, it would be hard pressed to find a team that has more NHL experience this year. But there's seven teams that have better records and more points and score a lot more than the Admirals do. Yeah, because all those guys were in Nashville. <laughs> that that's true. But but what I meant by that was if Barry Trot Barry Trotz, gosh, we're all over the place. If Carl Taylor can take the Admirals and he can go through the Calder Cup playoffs and and win a championship with a lot of the players that should be on this Predators roster next year and the year before or the year after that, that to me shows he can win with the future of this team. And that's what I didn't get a chance to explain last last week. I'm I'm not saying that if Carl Taylor wins a Calder Cup, that's it. He's the coach. I think John Hines has had enough time to prove himself and prove that he can get this team to where it needs to be. He was handed, I don't want to say he was handed a a cup contending team because I think they were a step below that, but he was handed a really good team built by Peter Laviolette, and he has gotten worse. I, I, I don't know what more you need to see from John Hines. I think if Carl Taylor can go out and win a Calder Cup and go through the gauntlet he's going to have to go through, especially with the teams in the Pacific Division that are out there. If he can win a Calder Cup, I think that that shows that, one, he can win with the players, two, he can win in this system, and three, why not give the guy a shot? Because you, you, I I hate this, it's a cliche, the definition of insanity, you keep trying the same thing over. That's what it is running John Hines out there. We've seen what John Hines can do with these players. I think Carl Taylor, it's time to turn the keys over to Carl Taylor. He has a 157, 90, and 40 record as the Admirals head coach in four years. He he's he's his points percentage is six is sixty-eight point six percent. He went eleven, eight, and two over the final twenty-one games with six starters and a handful of other players in the NHL. He lost sixty-nine goals and hundred and seventy-two points <laughs> in the most crucial stretch of his season and still got his team to the postseason. I will take my commission check, Carl Taylor. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. The check is in the mail uh, from Milwaukee, postmark Milwaukee. Um, it, so to me, this is a question for for like Carl Taylor as a future option for the Predators. To me, I, I totally get what you're saying. It To me, this is an equation. It is about the value of knowledge versus the value of experience. Because the value of knowledge is who better to coach Luke Evangelista, Yaroslav Askarov, Igor Afanasia, Philip Thomas, you know, who better to coach all these guys than the guy who did the developing himself that knows them personally, that knows how to pull, push and pull levers to make them, you know, achieve what they want to achieve versus the value of experience, which is someone that has NHL level of experience of coaching, which Carl Taylor does not have. So actually, he is undefeated as an NHL head coach. That's true. He does have NHL experience. Thank you. I, I I pod corrected. Um, no, but that to me, that's sort of like the what what you have to weigh if you're Barry Trotz in the front office of, of the Predators is 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 the knowledge of these players more valuable than the experience of being a, a Phil Housley, for example, who's been in the NHL a long time. Like right, like or or uh, I can't remember the gentleman that that Adam mentioned yesterday, who's um, Spencer Carberry. Spencer Car, yeah, like the, who has a history with Barry Trotz, by the way. Exactly, and that's the point. So like the. Being in the NHL, working in the NHL, living in the NHL, knowing what it takes to be in the NHL versus I know more about Luke Evangelista than anybody, right? Like those are the, that's the valuation process. That's that to me, that's the calculus that they have to do. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think it'll be interesting to watch. I think four years to your point in the AHL for a guy who clearly has aspirations. I asked him this question when I interviewed him. I said, you know, what, what do you? I didn't say like, do you want to be an NHL head coach? But I, I asked him about the process and he's like, of course I want to be a head coach in the NHL. So four years in the AHL winning almost 70% of your, your games is, is about as good as you can do. And I think that's, he, it is time for him. And, and that's whether- kind of, that's kind of the point I was also trying to make. If he wins the Calder cup, what's left for him to do in the AHL? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, he, he's already proven he can consistently win. Or he can consistently get points in roughly seventy percent of the games that oh, that he that he's coaching. He gets a Calder Cup under his belt. 
the, the Predators already have a loaded farm system, and a lot of these guys should be NHL players, most of them next year and within two years. What more is there for the guy to do? He's already taken your top young prospects and developed them to where they're mostly NHL ready. Now is the is the logical time to transition from Carl from John Hines to Carl Taylor. And maybe they do what, you, what you've been suggesting. Maybe they promote Carl Taylor as an assistant coach. And then if John Hines starts going sideways, you fire him. Carl Taylor is already there. Th- that's fine. But that that's also planning to fail. And I don't think you should be doing that if you're starting a rebuild or a reset or a reload or whatever the hell you want to call it. I don't think you should have a built-in failsafe for when John Hines eventually starts showing why he should not be the head coach of this team. I think you go all in with the regime change and you you get Carl Taylor in there right now. I, I agree, but if it was going to happen, we're now two weeks essentially from, or a week and some change from... Oh, no, you're right. They're probably, it, it's going to be John Hines is going to be the head coach opening night and, and Carl Taylor, hopefully if they do the right thing, will be an assistant coach. If not, they're going to lose him because another team is going to come in yeah, yeah. and they're going to be like, oh, hey, you want to be a head coach? Come over on our, uh, come over and join our team, sit on the bench for a year. And this coach who we expect to fail probably will, we'll fire him. And then you can just take over kind of like Lane Lambert did in, in New York. We we are almost two weeks from their final game and nothing has been done. I, I feel like we're, we are where we are. So that to your point, Michael, I agree with you. I would, I, I have long said on the show now for weeks that I think we know we know what John Hines is. I think he's a wonderful person, but he is what his record says he is. He is an average coach. He's fine. He's he's not great. He's not elite. I don't I don't imagine him changing after eight years of being a head coach in the NHL. I think he is what he is. So I I'm with you respectfully. I think it's time to make a change. But it cle- it's pretty clear that that's not what's happening. So it, what's the best next case scenario? It is making sure you have a backup plan, and that that backup plan is promoting Carl Taylor to assistant head coach in waiting <laughs> on the staff so that when, if and when something does happen, you have a backup plan already in place because you've thought this whole thing through. So that's that's where I fall on that. There's one more and thing. To, Carl, there's one more I thing. Say, I was going to say, to Adam's point uh, last week, too, Barry Trotz and Spencer Carberry do have history together. Maybe, I'm not saying that this is in the works or anything, but maybe Barry Trotz is mulling over what what would this team look like with Spencer Carberry taking over? Does it fit his system? Does he like some of the players? I wouldn't completely rule that out either. I would say 90%. I'm 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 sure John Hines is coming back, but there is that other 10% of imagine imagine what it would do to the fan base if you got a new head coach in there, whether it's Carl Taylor, Spencer Carberry, or whoever else it is. Uh, by the way, the he's with Toronto, right? The assistant coach with Toronto. Yes, he's um, so, a fantastic yeah. AHL coach. And, and uh, Toronto, we're going to talk about the Leafs here in a second because uh, Toronto right now playing pretty good hockey uh, at time of taping. Famous last words in, in NHL circles. One thing that Carl Taylor has not done is go to Jaspers. If he goes to Jaspers, uh, that's it. I'm voting for him to be the head coach of the Predators. If, if, if Carl Taylor becomes the head coach of the Predators, I think we should have uh, a party at Jaspers in his honor. In his honor, uh, obviously. Maybe he'll show up. And I will. And you. What about you, though? I show up to Jasper's all the time. I go to Jasper's because my kids love the burgers and they love the game room. My wife loves the vibes. I like the 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 uh, drink specials. I like to grab a go market, grab a little cheesecake on the way out, even though my pants don't like that. Uh, but I like the whole deal. You're the one who needs to come down and hang out with all with those Carl things Taylor. are great. But but I live in Hendersonville now. That's a that's a thirty minute drive for me just to go get some some tornado fries and a smash burger. I don't know. Hendersonville is not as far away as people think. It's just not. It's it's a it's quite a nice place, and you can get there faster than people think. Anyway, go to Jasper's, everybody. It's a great place to go eat dinner. It's a great place to go eat lunch. It's a great place for happy hour. Great place to watch games, NHL playoff games, which we are about to talk about. We'll get to top ten matchups or favorite matchups in the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, I also want to get to a discussion about the broadcast teams. Which one do you guys prefer uh, out there? And some of the historical context around the Canadian teams making a run at all of this. But I, I do think we need to begin with the sort of Preds viewer guide here. Uh, and there are no wrong answers in this conversation because I do think that sp- sports are about emotion. It's about fandom. It sometimes is unexplainable. You can't just describe the feelings you have. We hate players and love players for very random reasons sometimes as sports fans. But I'm watching this Dallas-Minnesota series. And by the way, home and road splits. I've got a question for you about that coming up in a second. But Predators viewing sort of uh, guide to the playoffs. Uh, Minnesota-Dallas, I just, it's, I just, it's first of all, it's one of the series I just care the least about. <laughs> it's probably because of the two divisional rivals, but I cannot root for Dallas. The players are more fun. The offense is more fun. 
it's just a more fun team. Minnesota with the hit on Pavelski was kind of dirty, but like, I just can't, I find myself watching that series rooting for Minnesota. I like the fans better. I like the, the air, like I lived in Dallas. I prefer the twin cities. I don't know about you, but I can't do it. The LA Kings don't care. I know Arvidsson and Fiala are out there. I would love to see Victor Arvidsson do well. Couldn't care less about Kevin Fiala. But if Arvidsson does well and wins something cool, great. But I'm not rooting against Edmonton and Ekholm. I'm rooting for Edmonton and Ekholm. Um, in the East, I don't have any favorites. It just is, you know, it's just weird hockey sometimes to watch Carolina and the Islanders play. Um, <laughs> but but what what are your thoughts in general on how Predators fans should be consuming this? Uh, are you are, as you watch Minnesota and Dallas? Do you find yourself wanting to 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 you know burn the building down, or do you actually like? Okay, I can root for I, I can root for Minnesota. I'm fine with that. I think if you're a Preds fan, you root for that series to go seven and half the team to end up on the injured list after the series <laughs> is over. That's best case scenario if you're a Preds fan. I just, I, yeah, I don't I don't think Predators fans can root for Dallas. One, the Stars have had Nashville's number for years. Two, Ryan Suter plays for the Dallas Stars. I just don't see if you're if you're a legit diehard Preds fan how you can root for any kind of success. Because Ryan Suter is on that team. And you also got to look too, like outside of just Ryan Suter, there's a lot of guys on that team that are just kind of dicks. Jamie Ben, <laughs> Tyler Sagan, Dodonov, uh, Rope Hints. There's there's a lot of guys that just kind of just rub you the wrong way if you're not a if you're not a, a fan of the stars. So I think if you're if you're rooting for a winner of that series, I would say root for Minnesota just because they're they're the more likable team. Plus, Minnesota's kind of like Nashville. They never really won anything. So even if they win a first-round series, no one really expects much more out of them. Um, so I say root for Minnesota if you're a Stars, if you're a Preds fan. I, I find yeah. the entire Minnesota fan base mixed with the team and the fact that they're so passionate and interested and knowledgeable about hockey, I find it to be so much more charming than anything that has anything to do with Dallas. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, Minnesota's the, the state of hockey for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, Edmonton, it's easy for me. I'm rooting for Ekholm and the Oilers. That's because I, I think, and I've said this a number of times on the show, if we were going to look at matchups, I think Connor McDavid and his buddy Leon belong on the national stage in the Stanley Cup final. That is what is best for the game of hockey. And personally, as a fan, just uh, listen, Seattle's a great story. It would be an unbelievable story if Seattle got to the cup. It'd be Colorado, easy for Predators fans to hate, but also easy to appreciate the skill and talent. Edmonton is the easiest one to root for, in my mind, for the two main reasons. Ek Ekholm, and they're less hateable than everybody else. They're not in the division. <laughs> but because it would be best for hockey if Connor McDavid is on a national stage fighting for a Stanley Cup championship. It is what's best for hockey. I'm convinced. I wish Megan was on this podcast to sit here and tell everyone why they should root for Victor Arvidsson and the Los Angeles Kings, because that would that would be 10 minutes of amusement. But yeah, I think uh, perspective outside of Nashville, I think Edmonton is the easy team to root for in the Western Conference just because they have two of the, the best offensive players. And that's what people want to see when they're turning on the TV. They want to see goals scored. Dreisaitl and McDavid give you that in bunches. If you're a Predators fan... I know Kevin Fiala and Victor Arvidsson are both on the Kings. Victor Arvidsson, there was a lot of people that didn't want him to be traded, but there's a lot of people kind of like the Barry Trotz thing, like, okay, it's time to move on. Kevin Fiala didn't leave on the best terms because he pissed a lot of people off here. You're not going to find anyone in Nashville say a bad thing about Matias Ekholm. I think it's it's easy to root for Edmonton because they have probably the two best stars in the playoffs, and they have Matias Ekholm. And look, I forgot what the stat was. Someone tweeted it the other day. But Edmonton is, is has a really good record with since they traded for Matias Ekholm. Like they're going to be a hard team to beat. Mm -hmm. I think I I hope that series goes seven games as well because it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch. It's entertaining. But I think from from a, a national standpoint, Edmonton in the Cup final is probably best for the NHL. But if you're a Predators fan, I mean it's it's tough. You got two former Preds on the Kings, one on on the Oilers. But everybody loves I, Matias Ekholm. I, I just don't like, okay, Predators fans, at Braden Gall, you can tweet me and tell me that I'm wrong about this if you want to. I, I, do people give a shit about Kevin Fiala? Like, I, Victor, Not Arvidsson, really. Victor Arvidsson is an incredibly important member of this franchise's history. Ekholm, an incredibly yeah. important member of this franchise's history. Um, and I, I agree with you. The series has been, I mean, obviously, game five, you know, the Oilers kind of ran away with it, but the first three out of the first four were in overtime. It's been a fantastic series. Um, Ekholm is it, like beloved by the community. I just like 
Yeah. To me, Kevin Fiala is like Ryan Hartman from Minnesota. Like, okay, <laughs> fine. He doesn't fall into the Ryan Suter category, which again, I think all you people are wrong about. I think rooting against Ryan Suter is wrong. I think it's silly. I think you need to let it go and move on, be an adult. But to me, I am apathetic towards Kevin Fiala. I have no feelings. I don't care one way or the other. Arvidsson, Arvidsson, I'm with Megan. I would love to see Victor Arvidsson hoist a trophy just to watch his little legs try to carry that thing around the the, the rink, which he could do. <laughs> but 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 like he matters to people. I don't think Kevin Fiala or Ryan Hartman like matter to people. It might maybe yeah, I, don't I, I don't think they they care necessarily about Kevin Fiala. I mean, if anything, you can make a case that they're rooting for Fiala to lose more than they are to win, but. I think it's just kind of like, oh, he's on the team. He's a former predator. If you're if you're going to watch the Kings against the Jets in the second round, you'd probably you'd probably have more of a rooting interest for the Kings just because they have two former Preds players. I think that's just kind of the nostalgia of oh, he used to be here. It wasn't just like a one a one year and out type thing either. But I, I do think you're right. Not a lot of people care that much about Kevin Fiala, especially Preds fans, because he he did not reach his potential while he was here. Well, the good news is you won't get to you won't have to watch either one of those teams probably in the second round. Uh, Edmonton up up one game here after Tuesday evening's win, uh, and then of course Vegas is destroying Winnipeg at, at this point. Um, Vegas. Is, if, if, if that was if that was the Predators instead of the Jets, this the results would still be the same. I tend to agree with you. Um, although, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess UC Charles maybe steals a, an extra game, but uh, but it's hi- highly doubtful. Um, okay, so here's a couple other things though, uh, just so that people don't people know. This is what Toronto is is attempting to do. This is what Edmonton, we just talked about Edmonton, would be attempting to do. Um, Winnipeg is is basically out of it. Uh, I do find the Colorado-Seattle series to be utterly fascinating. It's just an interesting series uh, from a storyline standpoint. But you you have, Canada has not won a Stanley Cup since 1993, Montreal. Um, <laughs> that was coming off of a stretch. And I don't think I, I, I knew this because I knew about Edmonton and how good they were in the 80s. But I was a very, very small child. Uh, but I did not know that they had claimed eight out of ten cups with four different teams. I, I guess I did not realize that they, Canada had been that, that that dominant in the '80s, and not just you know Gretzky and Messier. It was more than just that that group. Um, Nineteen sixty-seven is the last time Toronto won a Stanley Cup, which of course is the Red Sox and the Cubs version of, of in the NHL. The last time it was an All Canada. Stanley Cup championship was 1989. Um, that was an all ca- all Canadian matchup. So I I don't know if that changes your rooting interest when you want to pick a series that you want to see. I have long said I want Edmonton and Boston because it's the greatest regular season team in history versus what is the greatest player of our generation, and I think that would be best for hockey. And it is so so easy to root against Boston <laughs> at that point. Uh, but I could also see the argument for Toronto and Edmonton. I think Greg Wyshynski called it apocalyptic uh, if the two of them were to play because the cup would be going back to Canada, but there's a chance it doesn't go back to Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, I think the other one to throw out there, it just because of the stage, and I, I hate to do this because it does pluck at my childhood heartstrings, but I did grow up a Rangers fan. My father is still a diehard Rangers fan, and watching Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl on the Biggest of biggest stage in the biggest city in the world it, at Madison Square Garden would be quite a watch for the world of hockey. So my first vote, Edmonton, Boston. My second vote, probably Toronto and Edmonton. My third vote might be New York and Edmonton. I just can't root for Colorado. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We have the same two first first votes. My first vote, Boston and Edmonton, just because that would be a hell of a series. Offense, goals galore, I think it would be highly entertaining. Then second would be Toronto, Edmonton, just because you have two of the biggest Canadian markets. as ter- In terms of like global exposure, that would probably be the best thing for the NHL. And then I had, I had one team in my third one, the same as yours, the New York Rangers. But instead of Edmonton, I think, and we're talking best cut matchups for the NHL, would be Vegas against the New York Rangers because you have arguably two mm. of the biggest markets in the country, in the cup final, you have all the, the sports betting, gambling and stuff in Vegas. You have Madison Square Garden, everything with the New York Rangers. For the NHL, that would probably make them the most money is Vegas against New York. Because like I said, you have two of the biggest markets in the country, two really good teams. 
you would probably have more casual fans tune in to watch that just because it's like, oh, Vegas and New York, two historically yeah. like big cities. I think that would probably make the NHL the most money, but I, I, I would I would rather see Boston and Edmonton personally. We we have not mentioned I agree. I've, we've not mentioned Boston and Colorado, which would be the defending champs and one of the most entertaining teams objectively by by non Predators fans viewer, viewership. One yeah, of the most that'd be an entertaining series too. An incredibly entertaining series. I don't know to your point. Is Colorado and Denver, do they move the needle nationally in terms of interest in the sport? I don't know. I think Seattle would be Seattle would be an extraordinary story because Vegas did this. Part of the reason Vegas has become the market you just explained it to is because they did this. They went to the Stanley yeah. Cup final in like year number two. And if Seattle were to figure out how to do this, not only would we now have multiple blueprints on how to go about launching an expansion franchise, uh, but just Seattle's a fun young team to watch, and of course, Predators fans don't want to see that because it would just be it would be an Ellie Tolvin and you know fever dream. Um, but I, I, I want to see it just for pure chaos reasons. I mean, I'm with you. Toronto and Vegas would be pretty good. Uh, New York and Colorado, the Rangers and Colorado would be good. Um, you know, the Devils are a really fun team to watch, but they're not. I, I just don't think they're there yet. Carolina, yeah. same kind of thing. To me, Carolina is such a fun team to watch, but like I just don't care. I can't find myself getting into Carolina. I also think, I don't know, like a Carolina Dallas series, just ugh. <laughs> that sounds gross. Do you want to hear a terrible, like the, the worst possible cup matchup from this bracket? Let me hear it. Winnipeg and Florida. Oh God. Would, would anybody outside of those two markets, honestly turn on a, on a TV and watch that Stanley cup final? Like D- Dallas and Florida would be pretty bad because <laughs> it's two Southern teams. Um, no, Winnipeg. I, just, I, just, I think there's there's no there's no team from the Western Conference that people care about less than Winnipeg, and there's no team from the Eastern Conference <laughs> people care about less than Florida. That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I, listen, Boston Edmonton is what I'm rooting for. There's no question about it. Uh, speaking of watching these games on TV, uh, TBS or ESPN, which one's your favorite broadcast crew? And I'm not talking about the in game. I'm talking about the studio hosts and the analysts. Basically, this comes down to: Do you like Biz Nasty and his purple jacket, or do you like PK Subban? Like, who, who, which broadcast do you like better in terms of consuming uh, the content? Um, let me preface this by saying I'm not a fan of either. Both of them could use a lot of work. They could. There's a lot of room for improvement. Bring on people that know what they're talking about. And I'm not saying that like these are they're littered with people that don't know what they're talking about. But sometimes there's people on ESPN that just say something, and you're like, what the hell? Like, you just did they really just say that? That that being said, I prefer TBS over over uh, ESPN. But I mean, I don't know Liam McHugh. I know you have some some thoughts on him. I don't I don't mind him <laughs> that much. You're, you talked about Paul Bissonnette and PK Subban. I mean, it's it's one of those. I don't know. It's it's kind of like splitting hairs on. Yeah. It, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of either of them. But if I had to pick, I would pick the TBS crew just because they don't. They don't. It's it's less to me. That's less of nail on chalkboard feeling than listening to the NHL and he's an ESPN crew. So I say this as an ESPN employee very delicately. Um I I enjoy the hosts on ESPN more because I think they have they just got more skins on the wall. Like that these are these are people that have been covering the game for decades. Like if it's Steve Levy or Bouchagras or you know some of these guys that have been calling games Barry Melrose, Mark Messier. Like these guys, see I don't like I don't love Messier. Even as a Rangers fan growing up, I love the player. I don't love the analyst Mark Messier. Chelios either. Chelios yeah. But but I think the host Kaplan, Ray Ferraro. I think the hosts on ESPN are better. Liam McHugh is fine. He is a professional broadcaster, but he doesn't add anything to the broadcast. I like the analysts on TBS better. I like Biz nasty. I like. I think Anson Carter's pretty good. I think he does a really good job. Henrik Lundqvist. I'm yeah, distra- Anson Carter's up there. Yeah. I, I'm distracted by how everything on Henrik Lundqvist's body is in perfect place. Like I'm just. I'm distracted by all the extra things that he's got going on in his suit and how every hair is perfectly quaffed. Uh, but I, I tell you, once as a player too, he would take his goalie helmet off and his hair was in pristine condition. <laughs> I know. I, so I think the I like the hosts on ESPN. I like the analysts a little bit better. That being said, it's hard not to like PK Subban. It's just fun to see PK Subban uh, kind of being himself up there, and he gets a little sticky at times. And isn't, but like that's him being authentically himself. Uh, I think Vizinette does a really good job. Like he built his career on like this outlandish personality, right? But like he actually 
does a really good job, I think, of keeping it kind of like professional in the studio. I think he and Instant Carter, I think, do a really good job. So I, I like yeah. the TBS, I like the TBS broadcast crew. Um, so there you go. <laughs> That's an important debate. Uh, what do you make of the home and road splits? So at time of taping on Wednesday in the Eastern Conference, the home team in all four series combined is three and fourteen. The road team is fourteen and three. In the Western Conference, it's a little bit more balanced. Um, it is. I'm doing some quick math here. Six, seven, eight, nine. It is. There are nine and nine in the in the Western Conference. So it's totally even. Then totally balanced has meant absolutely nothing in the Western Conference. In the Eastern Conference, it's been a complete negative to be at home. Anything to be taken about this, or is this just some random hockey world where we live in this random hockey stat, or vice versa? <laughs> Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know what to take from it. It's just kind of, I think I saw something the other day, unless I, unless I read it wrong, which is entirely possible because I've been bogged down with NFL draft stuff and trying to keep up with the playoffs in the NHL and stuff. But I think I saw something the other day that said teams are close. Teams have closer to a 500 record at home this year than they have in like in any of the last five seasons or something like that. I may have I may be misinterpreting that graph, but I think that's what I gleaned from it. Um, that said, I think it's just I don't know. 2023, man, like maybe home ice advantage doesn't matter as much as it used to. Who knows? It's I, I think when you have a team like Edmonton that has a really good defenseman like Matias Ekholm, and then you have two really good good scores like Dry Seidel and McDavid, like you should be able to win anywhere. So yeah, I don't really know. I, I don't have a have a good answer for that. Why why the the home team isn't as good as as it traditionally has been? Maybe it's just one of those things where, with COVID and the political landscape and just everything that's going on in the world, maybe maybe the arenas and the environments aren't as raucous as they used to be. Who knows? Maybe you're getting more casual fans coming to these games than season ticket holders. I'm not really sure what the answer is. Did you just blame Did you just blame Ron DeSantis for? For the home team being one in three in the Boston Florida series, is that what is that what we're talking about here? Uh, I no, have, I might have done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. What's interesting is you mentioned Edmonton and uh, in the Dallas Minnesota series and Edmonton and Los Angeles. So the two three matchups in the Western Conference, the home team. Those, those are the only two series in which the home team has a winning record, and even then, it's three and two. So the home team in the Edmonton series is three and two. The home team in the Dallas series is three and two. New York and New Jersey, Madison Square Garden doesn't mean a damn thing. Doesn't mean a damn thing. Uh, Carolina, the Islanders, doesn't mean a damn thing. The, those the the road team has won every game in the in the New Jersey New York series, and and the road team is four and one in the Carolina Islanders series. The Islanders just stayed off elimination on the road. <laughs> so so um, I we, we the only reason it, I noticed it was just because the 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 Rangers series, which is again the home team is zero and four in that game in that series. But the reason I noticed it is because we made a huge deal out of the Predators. Losing Bridgestone Arena at some point, you know, in that Laviolette to Heinz transition, in that Stanley Cup run where they then lost to Winnipeg in Game Seven in the net the following year, and then they get run out of the the playoffs the next season. Like w- there was a lot of conversation about losing Bridgestone. We lost the home ice advantage, and I'm just I'm looking at Boston here, and Boston split at home. That's the best team in regular season history, and they split at home. So I guess maybe my takeaway is just let's not make too much of home records until the playoffs are over and we have like enough data to say, look, here's here's how it is. Does that make sense? I don't I don't know. I think we made a lot of that. Yeah. Like 2018, but would, 2019. But I would point out that losing Bridgestone Arena, Bridgestone used to be, and there were players that would say, like, it was the toughest arena in the NHL to play in for for a year or two. And talk about when they made the cup final and, and stuff like that. Like they're talking about how great the fan experience inside the arena was. I think losing that atmosphere was because the team was a losing team. There wasn't a lot to be excited about. And I think you can, right. you can talk about David Poyle, John Hines, whose fault it is all that stuff, but these teams are in the playoffs. They like realistically, any one of these teams, well, I would take maybe Florida and, and Winnipeg out of that, but and all the other teams have a realistic shot at potentially going on a run and winning a Stanley cup. So it's interesting to, to see that home ice doesn't matter for them. I don't think any of those teams have a problem with like losing the arena and the atmosphere inside. It, I think it's a little bit different for the Predators just from a different perspective. Well, Tampa Bay's down 3-1 at time of taping as well. They're a team that's won multiple cups here recently. Uh, I, here's what I would say. If if this team, if the Predators were hosting Game 7 this week, 
Bridgestone Arena would be crazy. But here's the question. Will it ever be as crazy as 2017? And I, I, I think the answer is no. And it's because... I, I think it, no, because that was the first time. It's because it was the first time, and I've said it a million times, and I'll say it again. This is for you, Jaspers. This is for you boys over there running Jaspers. <laughs> There's a lot more quarter zips in the lower bowl and a lot less hoodies. And that is because it's a little less blue collar to go to Predators games, regular season or postseason, especially those postseason tickets, those prices after the Stanley Cup run went way up. And people were willing to go, but it's a different clientele in the lower bowl. And let's just be honest, people that spend $1,000 on tickets just aren't as crazy as someone who spends $50 on tickets. <laughs> They're just it's, yeah. just, it's just different. And so would Bridgestone Arena be absolutely awesome in Game 7 this week if they were hosting Game 7 this week? Of course it would. It would be great. Is it ever going to be as insane, as bonkers as that was, to be at those games against Anaheim, against Chicago, uh, like those memories in my head of being at those games. I missed one game that that entire playoff run. I went to every single home game except for one. I think it was game three against St. Louis in the second round. I went to every single home game. There will never be anything like that, in my opinion. I don't. Think oh, absolutely ever- not. I mean, you, you got to think they were selling out road games. Like they were they were filling Bridgestone Arena to capacity when they were yes. playing playoff games on the road, just so people can be in the arena and watch the game on Fang Vision. That's how crazy it was. Yeah, it was a fun time. Uh, maybe we'll get back to maybe we'll get back there with Carl Taylor as the head coach. All right, uh, at <laughs> MG Sports underscore for for Michael Gallagher. Go to Jasper's, of course, everybody. Uh, they support local. They support uh, the Predators. They support our kids. Uh, tickets for the uh, the draft party on Thursday night. If you're li- listening to this before the draft party, <laughs> come on by. Buy yourself a ticket at 440 Sports on Twitter. Uh, you can get to me at Braden Gall. We got lots of stuff planned for you throughout the course of this offseason. We'll talk Calder Cup. We're going to talk draft. We got free agency. We got a lot of stuff. So don't go anywhere. Uh, we do appreciate it uh, very much uh, for you guys hanging out. So rate, review, subscribe. For Michael, I'm Braden. Thanks for listening. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.